Hello, you're listening to the Mag Culture podcast recorded right here in the Mag Culture shop, Clerkenwell, London. I'm Jeremy Leslie. And I'm Liv Siddall. Welcome to the eighth edition of the Mag Culture podcast. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How have you been? Very good, actually. Got lots of lovely new mags to talk about today. So Absolutely. Shall we, shall we jump in? Let's get straight to it. I want to talk about the brand new Riposte, which is number 11. And it's a bright pink cover. And this issue, which is fantastic, even though I'm slightly biased because I worked on it, uh, it features Calypso Rose, Leila Gohar, Yana Peel, Stacey Lee May, and many, many others. And mm-hmm. the issue is available to pre-order now and definitely worth getting a copy of that. Three different covers again. Three different covers. One very pink one. Yep, one yeah. pink with the lovely... Um, the type one. The, typo- the yeah. typographic cover. Elsewhere, we've got the brand new issue of Twin Magazine, mm-hmm. which is number 20. Twin Magazine, if you don't know it, is a big hardback fashion mag. And the new issue looks absolutely great, and it's got some fantastic people in it. What else have we got? I wanted to highlight the third issue of Lindsay Magazine from Australia. Um, a bit of a favourite of mine now, it's actually. It's sort of grown. It's one of those magazines that's quite hard to describe exactly what it is, but it's just sort of got under my skin for... The way that it travels around, it's got stories from all sorts of different countries and cultures, and it's really there's something really special about it. It's, it's got quite a feminist outlook, but it's not exclusively about that. Give you an idea: there's a the, the Lebanese film director Nadine Labaki is on the front cover. There's reports from uh, Morocco, India. It's a great melange of content, and I, and I love it for it. But as I say, it's, it's it's a difficult one to describe. I encourage you to track it down. Yeah, it looks great. Elsewhere, we have. A very a interesting, very topical, one. topical edition of The New Yorker. I guess it's kind of Brexit-themed, which yeah. is a bit weird. I suppose The New Yorker are known for their covers, which also always depict like, the most New York images. So it's quite odd to kind of see The New Yorker um, masthead, but with a big picture of Big Ben beneath it, with a sort of mad cuckoo sort of bursting out of yeah. the, the clock face. Uh, and this issue... Um, it's, uh, should, should just credit Mark Ulrichson there, the artist, who's done yeah, a lot yeah. of their covers. But um, Yeah, so Mark Ulrichson, he is an amazing artist. And inside the cover story in the issue, it says, imagery aside, the clock is indeed ticking and the New Yorker's writers are here to demystify the crisis across the pond. And they do, because this issue also contains two fantastic, or fantastically depressing Brexit articles, one by Amy Davidson Sorkin on the Brexit mayhem and a profile by Ed Caesar on the complicated life of Brexit back at Aaron Sorkin. So interesting to see that the New Yorker are really kind of spending a lot of time and money in trying to work out <laughs> what the hell's going on over here. Them too. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Them too. It's a fantastic front cover. It's almost, I mean, it's sort of so perfect in its simplicity. It's Big Ben with a cuckoo clock. I mean, it's great. We're looking back at another Brexit cover they did, which oh, is yeah. actually, I think, perhaps potentially even better. It's a Barry Blick cover where you, you had um, J- John Cleese doing his funny walk and he's funny walking off a cliff edge, which, <laughs> uh, which at the time was much funnier than it seemed, and actually maybe that's where we might be by the time this is uh, this podcast goes out. I remember humour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> Laughing. Um, um, what else have we got? No we've man's got, land. Uh, no man's land's about to arrive. Um, that's the um, magazine from the people at the wing. Deirdre Dyer, the editor, spoke at ModMag last year and she was, gave a fantastic uh, talk. The issue has it has Fra- Fran Leibovitz, on the, um, the writer, on the front cover and uh, all sorts of other interesting people. The highlight for me, I'm, the thing I'm looking forward to, and we're talking blind here, we haven't actually seen it, uh, is uh, Danielle the, uh, from, from Riposte interviewing the legendary um, British editor who made a name at um, Vanity Fair, Tina Brown. I know, that's going to be absolutely be great, amazing. Two really strong 
women editors coming face to face. I'm fascinated by how that works out. Me too, because I know that Danielle was excited and nervous to speak to her, and I just can't wait to, to see what they've spoken about. Mm-hmm. It's just such a good combo. Yes, yes. Great. And uh, as a brief aside, if, if you haven't read it, you should read Tina Brown's Vanity Fair Diaries. Yeah. A great history of another a completely different era of magazine. Also, and a very good reason to start making your own diary because yes. if she hadn't been writing down all that stuff, it probably would have been forgotten. Yes. Especially yes. all the cocktail parties she was probably going to. But And dinners. And, and it's dinners. extraordinary, the, the people she was mixing with and stuff. It does get a bit repetitive at stages, but it's still it's a fantastic <laughs> kind of... It's a diary, but um, but it it reveals a whole other world of magazines that's so different today. I'm looking world. forward to you publishing your diaries. <laughs> I don't have a diary. <laughs> right, you should yeah. start making one. <laughs> <laughs> Made a podcast. <laughs> Uh, In Uh, other news, what other news? Oh, yeah, Anne-Marie Curtis um, yesterday mm -hmm. announced she was stepping down as editor-in-chief of LUK and that the June issue will be her last after 15 years at the MAG. And she wrote on Instagram uh, with a picture of her, the Chanel uh, kind of skiing show. Uh, So many emotions currently, but uppermost is the knowledge that I'm incredibly incredibly lucky to have had the opportunity to work on and then edit the magazine that I've loved ever since I bought the first issue as a fashion-obsessed teenager back in 1985. So, yeah, very sort of sad goodbye. But also she seems like it's a very kind of positive step forward. I don't know where she's going to go, so but I guess... I'm really interested to know where she's going to go. Because yeah. I only met her recently um, when... Because uh, her creative director, Thomas Meredith, mm. spoke at, at Mod Mag again. Oh, I love him. Um, and he's fantastic. And I met the two of them. And they seem to have such a good working relationship and really seem to be on it. And I'm just fascinated to know what what it is she's going to move on to do. Because it yeah. must be a big decision to make. I wonder where you go from there. And I wonder who's going to step into her role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very yeah, interesting. Because she, came, she worked her way up within Elle. So I wonder who the... Who's next? Um, Another one we definitely have to mention, which I can't find in the pile, is Dazed Beauty. Yeah, Where yeah. Is it? So we, we, I think we all know Dazed Magazine very well. It's been around for a long time. They've always been keen to launch. You know, they, they, they're responsible for another magazine, various other um, titles, Another Man. But they've just launched Dazed Beauty, which is a beauty magazine. It's been on Instagram for some time with extraordinary imagery, which is very well suited to Instagram. And now it's in print, uh, and it's a beauty magazine, unlike any other magazine about beauty so uh, Liv you've got a copy there I do it is absolutely unbelievable I can't I can't really get my head around it what are we thinking I mean it's kind of like uh, 70s record sleeves and yeah it's a bit prog actually isn't it it's the kind of futuristic fantasy dark crystal war games war um, games computer games computer yeah, yeah it's like digital crossed with like the old world it's it's just absolutely it's just fantastical and every image in it is just completely mind blowing and it is yeah it's that kind of cross between very old school and very very futuristic I mean the team behind it it's the creative director is Isamaya French uh, and then the art director is Ben Ditto editor in chief is Bunny Kinney and then Amelia Abraham's also involved it's just a great team of people who are all kind of very forward thinking and but but just um, to be clear if, 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 just to be clear we're not um, you know it's very obviously it's very image led but these aren't beautiful images these are it, every single picture is manipulated to the nth degree, right? It's, it's completely unreal. Yeah, it's almost like a kind of concept album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to read, page one is this amazing piece of writing by Isamaya French. And it's just, I guess it's something of like an editor's letter, even though she's a creative director. But I'm going to read you a bit from it. 
It says, the mortal leap, the splurge, the exaltation, the divine beauty is the waking of the child, the sleeping of the dead, the code from which we are all written. Beauty is in the curve of the sea, the hesitation of the Z. Beauty is the hand that moves the ebony chess piece in pursuit of the ivory queen. That kind of gives you, it's, it's definitely <laughs> definitely more interesting than your normal, it's the sleep uh, than your average letter. Record. I mean, yeah, but it's got, it's just got these amazing, as you said, Jeremy, there's a feature in here where it's a photo shoot with Kate Moss and also Travis Scott, but... There's a picture of Kate Moss in here that's... I've never seen her look like that before. Mm -hmm. And saying that, I mean, it's just... It, it looks completely mad. It, you know what? A lot of it reminds me of kind of... It's a bit Dungeons and Dragons. It's a bit like yeah. what teenage boys might no, fantasize about. That's it's a kind of... War games. I mean, that's the... Yeah, it, it like is. Warhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even know if what we're talking about makes sense because I think this magazine... You have to see it to believe yeah, it. Absolutely. And I think um, if you are it's, keen um, on collecting magazines, definitely collect this because... It's, it's issue zero, so it's a pilot. And yeah. I'm not sure how many, how broadly distributed it is and stuff, but um, interested to see where it goes for issue one, which I imagine will follow up um, in, in, alongside the next fashion season. Yeah, it's just um, so exciting to see something completely different that you've never is, seen before. It truly is completely different, isn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah, I <laughs> mean, even the logo, that kind of weird, like, bubble, that kind of mercury typeface, and then on the front cover, you've got Travis Scott and Kate Moss as centaurs <laughs> wearing armour <laughs> with loads of herons flying overhead. <laughs> anyway... It's great. And Pick up a copy. Thank goodness for random new magazines like yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Like no more magazines about craft beer or whatever. Anyway, what else um, have we got? Is that it? Surely that's it. I, th I think I think that's uh, well. There, I mean, that's a whole bunch of magazines. Some old, some new, but they're all got, got their new issues out at the moment. So on to our theme for this month, which is longevity. Mm -hmm. Following on from the last time when we talked, spoke about sustainability, we want to pick up on something that our friends at Migrant Journal have talked a lot about, which is longevity. And Jeremy, if I said the word longevity to you, which magazine would spring to mind most or first? We already mentioned The New Yorker, which mm -hmm. is back well, in a few years' time. will be celebrating its, its 100th anniversary. Um, National Geographic goes back even further. These are classic magazines and brands that have been around and seem to be stronger than ever yeah, today. Yeah, for sure. There are, there are two points to longevity, aren't there? There's one, one is longevity in the sense of a, a long-standing magazine, but the, the other thing that counts is whether a magazine actually lasts the, the individual issue lasts time yeah exactly and what do you think makes a magazine last what what's that what's the kind of what does a magazine need first and foremost to stay alive and to keep um, going i think i think Money. sadly it's just, <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, there is the setting aside the business oh it's stamina yeah i think there's a there's a diagram i use sometimes when we're presenting where we talk about the process the workflow of making a magazine which is you know is is quite we'll be familiar with it and I'm sure most people listening will be familiar to the idea of you, of commissioning, receiving, laying out pages, going to printers to really pricey it. But what people always forget is that before you've finished the one, you've already started the next one. Mm. and So you end up, you're doing everything at once. And However careful you are to try and plan it, it's just perpetually just retreading, <laughs> going on, you're on a treadmill. <laughs> so stamina is what you need. A lovely treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I mentioned at our masterclass, the flat plan last year. And I just wanted to note in passing that what was something that's very gratifying, we just kind of caught up with this recently, but we had 25 guests last year and five of them are now producing magazines that uh, came out of that. So I just want to give a quick nod to those. So there's Mauer, which has just uh, announced themselves from Barcelona. It's a magazine about analogue photography. Uh, there's Fawn, which is about animals and global nature. An illustration magazine called Ephemeral. Uh, a dragazine, 
Louche, uh, a magazine coming out later this year from a non-binary drag artist, and a men's fashion magazine called 520 Bad Gateway. So it's fascinating to see these magazines come out of that masterclass. Uh, we wanted to talk about a magazine, uh, Migrant Journal, on this mm-hmm. theme, because I think they're a modern magazine that really sum up the idea of longevity, or they've kind of looked at longevity and looked at the lifespan of a magazine in a different way. What do you think about Migrant Journal on this well, theme? Well, what's interesting, I mean, they're one of these magazines, and there's, there's, there have been a few um, recently that have set themselves up as a limited program. So they do, they're just doing six issues and they, they pre-plan six issues in the first place and the sixth issue comes out this June mm. and then they, they will cease. That will be the end. That will be the end. It's a shame because it got really successful, didn't it? They kind of sold yes. out of their issues. It's, well, it, yeah, no, it's well, they, the plan works. Well, it's, uh, it has worked, and, and so, but they're, um, they're reprinting. So, yeah. so they keep reprinting the, those same six issues because what they're dealing with, um, immigration and migration, they're very of today in terms of the, what the particular issues they're, they're dealing with around that. But they also, in a broader sense, timeless. They will not, in the space of a year or two, that what they're talking about doesn't really shift enormously. And that's part of what they wanted to do. They, you know, um, Justinian and the team, they, they launched it with the... First of all, as as a print magazine, in order to last time, because if they worried if they did something digitally, it would just fade away as yeah. technology moved on. So they went into print in order to last, but they also had to have a limited timescale for you know six issues. Yeah, it's so clever. But we should maybe just um, let 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 Justinian explain a little bit about that. We, yeah, I asked him about it, and he replied. MJ number six foreign agents is going to be released officially on the fifth of. June in Amsterdam. We are obviously really excited to release that new issue and I think I'm able to speak on behalf of everyone involved and say that we are looking forward to conclude uh, this project on a high. We've been investing so much of our time in Migrant Journal for the past uh, four years and there are loads of new projects that we already have ongoing or that we have at the back of our heads. Some of them are about publishing. I'm not sure about magazine or periodicals, but they are about publishing. And I'll be sure to share some uh, uh, more news about this uh, very soon when it's, when, it's, when it's available, when it can be shared. We are definitely concluding this project with our final issue. So we are being faithful to our six-issue pledge. What we are working on, though, is a final kind of event. So a kind of... A kind of a, dematerialized issue seven that will take the form of a one-day event probably in the spring of 2020 somewhere in in Europe and we hope to be able to gather as many contributors as many uh, readers and as many and all the editors that have been involved in this project in one location to celebrate the work that has been achieved and to hear more about the contributors' ongoing uh, research, writing, and, and projects. So that's what you can also look forward to, is hopefully a final uh, physical issue uh, 7 to take place in the spring of 2020. Thank you, Jacinio. It's interesting to hear they are actually going to, you know, it, does, it sounds like they're not simply stopping uh, at six they've got other thoughts of, of things to do another magazine that d- had a similar program was sabat which promised uh, three issues uh, dealing with witchcraft but looking through uh, womanhood through the three the the idea the pagan idea of the triple goddess of the of the maiden the mother and the crone and again that be dealing with such a sort of timeless subject 
Uh, they've been, you know, since the three issues, they've been reprinting those, but they also did a fourth issue, which was um, a sort of very different flamboyant type of um, uh, fold-out series of posters and such like. And even, I'm not sure if it's strictly speaking a fifth edition, but they did a set of tarot cards, which was nominally the fifth issue. So they, having promised the three, they then moved on to do some other ones. Now they're involved with Suspira, the, uh, the horror magazine as well. Oh, yeah. So there's this, you know, it's interesting though it is that, that people set a limited number of issues. I think they get the habit and they, they want to carry on. But it's quite a good idea because if you're starting a magazine or a podcast or anything like that that's going to be a sort of continual thing, it's probably better to set yourself that as a target yeah. just so you don't go insane. By yeah, 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 like, yeah. If you think, oh, I've only got to do three, mm-hmm. it'll probably make you chill out a bit more and, and not think too much in the future. And also you kind of... I don't know, and then maybe you'd be so confident in it because of how unstressful it is. Maybe it would kind of make you want to carry on anyway, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. I I, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the joys of magazines is an individual magazine is finite. There's a certain number of pages. Mm. And actually the thought, as I said, you know, of endlessly going on this hamster wheel and just sort of making magazines and looking into the future and thinking it's going to go on forever, it can be pretty daunting. So maybe, yeah, limiting yourself to a certain number allows you to think, oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's a bit like when you're on Netflix and yeah. you look and see <laughs> something that's got like 12 series of 10 episodes and you're a bit like, oh, I don't know about that. But then you go on BBC iPlayer and it's like three episodes in one series and you're like, that I can do. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just I'm like that, isn't the, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there'll be, and there'll be an algorithm more. that works out for them exactly what the ideal, it'd be like, the, the ideal number of, in a season is 7.34. Yeah. <laughs> Not possible. I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea about when does a magazine sort of actually ex- begin to exist as a magazine? Because, the, you know, obviously, a key, for me, the defining part of a magazine is that it is a, a part of a series. Yeah. But how many in the series have to exist before you can say it exists? <laughs> I think three. Well, that's, in, yeah, yeah. What would you say? Well, I, I was talking to Thea, who's uh, contributing to the website with a lot of the, lot of the uh, posts at the moment, and she was noting how many of the magazines we've mentioned recently are on their third issue. And I think there is a point where by the third issue you need to be, that should be this kind of template for the future issues. That's where you could, it becomes real, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I do remember talking to uh, uh, Theseus Chan, who's a Singapore designer, who um, does work magazine, oh, amazing yeah. um, creative magazine magazine. Uh, and he was absolutely adamant you had to do 10 issues before you existed. 10? Yeah. He, he wanted double figures or you didn't exist. How often was he putting them out? Well, that's, <laughs> he, he does maybe like... one a year. <laughs> but he's up to 20-something. So, But it's an, it's an interesting discussion about you know how, how long do you have to go before you actually can say, yes, I'm doing a magazine. I think three probably is it. Yes, maybe. Um, I just think anyone that gets past three is like, well done. Needs a medal. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) It would be wrong not to mention Weapons of Reason in passing here because they've just published the sixth of their eight-issue run. Yeah. Uh, And that's um, another uh, very serious magazine with a serious intent in terms of um, acting for good. This issue is about artificial intelligence and they're dealing with some of the bigger issues and they've set out what the eight will be and when they finish, I guess they finish. We'll see. God. So what about the magazines that go away and then make a sort of grand comeback, like a mm-hmm. pop star interview magazine, for example, and yeah. soon the Face magazine is coming back at the end of summer. What do you think about that? Like, should a magazine be revived once it's gone, do you think? How do you feel? I'm really conflicted on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, in interviews, 
intriguing because they didn't actually disappear for that long. No. It was more of a business tactic. And I, I, sabbatical. A sabbatical for the, for the <laughs> summer. They took the summer off and returned. But I, I, I have to acknowledge, I mean, I, I love the new iteration of the magazine. I think it's a... Yeah. It, I didn't dislike the old one, but I think the new one is so much... It's back to its original kind of raison d'etre of, of getting celebrities to interview celebrities and just sort of be a bit kind of anarchic with it. I mean, just they, yeah. they just throw it all up and get on with it. Uh, I love, it, I love it. The, and it's the new issue uh, is the first in their fiftieth year. It's the fiftieth year of publishing, albeit they took the summer off last year, uh, and it's a larger format, so it's bigger pages, more like the original magazine used to be. And I just and you can hear it. I hope you can hear that. But the it's a noisy magazine, and I love that. It it's, is. it's a really satisfying format, and it's just back to its best. So It's so, so good. A, a it is so good. Yeah, it's perfect. I mean, it's um, quite difficult to hold, but otherwise, it's well, such an exciting... Well, you've got a microphone in one hand, haven't you? So. Yeah, true. <laughs> but it's got so much energy to it, and I think maybe that's a good thing about relaunching a magazine, yeah, is, yeah. is getting the energy back. Yeah, as yeah. I'm sure the Spice Girls would have, if they got back together, there'd be a, diff a different energy, but energy nonetheless... An incomplete energy. An incomplete energy, but energy nonetheless, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about like, uh, so the face is coming back. We had to mention that, obviously, but we haven't got much information on that. Yeah, well, they're, they're, it's all very quiet, isn't all it? Very it's very hard to find out what's going on there. But you're excited to find out. I'm fascinated to find out because the face was so many times people, you, you talk to them about magazines and how they got involved. And uh, there's a whole generation of several generations of people who grew up with the face and for whom it's the kind of holy grail of magazines and who for whom everyone will say, oh, yes, it's great. It's coming back. Mm. Everyone wants it. But do they? <laughs> they, they do yeah. they want their youth back or do they want the magazine back? Bit of both, probably. Yeah. But I do think as well, like, it's, we're sort of definitely living in a culture where to recreate is much easier than to than to create. And I think that goes across all sorts of things, like with music. I mean, there's a lot of music that's very nostalgic to sort of older times. There's, there's all the films being remade, like, you know, all the Disney mm -hmm. films that are being remade in CGI for no reason. Uh, there's Dark Crystal being remade. There's loads of kind of... Uh -huh. it's, it's, we're in a bit of a remake yeah, culture. Yeah. And I would be more excited to see a new magazine that did what The Face did, but isn't called The Face. It's got a different logo, different name, yeah. different team. But I'm not sure whether that could be achieved because, you know, it's it's just so difficult to start a new magazine now. Well, it's, maybe it's, with it's, the... it's got so much... The name has so much clout and weight to it. It, it, yeah. it, it, it promises so much, doesn't it? Yeah. Can it deliver? And, and is it who's it delivering it to? Is it delivering it to a new generation of, of young people that want to have the face? Or is it for us lot who originally had the Very face? Very good question. Etc, uh, etc. Et <laughs> I think it's possible to bring it back. And I really want it to come back and be a huge success. But I worry... You mentioned how a magazine comes back, and I look back at another classic magazine, Nova, who was mm. the 60s, early 70s, great women's magazine, trailblazer in lots of ways, and they tried to bring that back in the 90s, and that just flopped because nobody knew what Nova was. The generation they were addressing didn't know what Nova was. Yeah, of course. And that, also, it's, it's got to kind of come back and then fit in with, with the group of magazines around it that are now similar. So mm -hmm. when The Face comes back, let's assume it, it comes into the mad culture shop, it's going to be placed among Dazed, among ID, next to another magazine, and it's going to have to find its place among those. And yeah. if, they're, if they're all supporting youth culture, if they're all supporting the best photographers, the best stylists, the best, mm -hmm. you know, young talent, what are they going to do to make it different? I can't wait to see how, what their point of difference is. And hopefully that's going to be a kind of exciting, electric, fun thing or something as, as mad as the Day's Beauty magazine. Because I think without that, it might, it might not yeah. have the effect that it needs It, it would be have. really, really sad if it came back and, and flopped. So that's, that's the challenge, really. They're going yeah. online first, from what I gather. Yeah. And I know there's a ho host of uh, 
quite big editorial names involved. Merkur Borsch in Germany is involved in the art direction yeah. design. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think we should wish it well. I can't wait. Okay, yeah, and um, fingers crossed that, that if it couldn't sort of balance and learn from Day's Beauty and Interview rather than just be another magazine. Yeah, perfect. It would be fine. Jeremy, is it true that you once held a magazine event for dead publications? <laughs> yes, it did. It was part of a, of a bigger project called Colophon that we did. And uh, we did two of these in Luxembourg. In, uh, this, this one was in 2007. And we were celebrating great magazines that had passed away, that had died. So, um, <laughs> and we did have a crypt. Uh, there was a bigger, there was a whole conference upstairs in the theatre. And below it, there happened to be a crypt. And we thought it would be funny to do a kind of like... <laughs> A series of graves to, to mark the, our favourite magazines that, no, that's <laughs> that nice. no longer existed. And there was a great selection of magazines. The face was in there, of course. <laughs> there was a German business magazine called Econi, which sounds maybe quite dry if you don't know it, but it had fantastic photography and art direction. And it actually it grew into a magazine in Germany now called Brand Eins, which continues. It, uh, the art director was Mike Mire, who does O32C. Oh, yeah. Gives you a sense of, I mean, it wasn't as flamboyant as O32C is, but it was still very, very it certainly, it was not The Economist <laughs> in design. I <laughs> can't remember who else is in it now. I have to dig, dig those out. There's a, there's a whole range, Emmy Gray, the, the typography yeah. magazine. But yeah, we did, and it was fun. Was Which fun. magazine uh, that is no more do you miss the most? Um, Which would you like to haunt you? Which would you like to kind of be resurrected from the crypt and come back? I'd probably have to be very um, predictable and say List. Yeah, you love List. Which is always my favourite. And they only ever had one issue. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, I think I'd just stick to to List. So if you were going to go to any magazine's funeral, uh, which one would you most like to attend in terms of the the guest list and the quality of the wake? Well, interestingly, I mean, (laughs) so (laughs) the List... List magazine. Oh, we go. You know, it, it, it had a list of, of all the attendees in it of the launch of Talk magazine, mm. which was Tina Brown's magazine. She she launched with the support of Harvey Weinstein. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And it flopped enormously. But the list of people that attended that party just reflects that, that era in Manhattan. So I guess maybe I'd go back a stage to a bit more successful period in Tina's career and look yeah. at Vanity Fair in the 80s. Definitely. That would be the party to go would to. Would that be sort of like Studio 54? That, not quite Studio 54. No, but um, it would be a bit but, later but the that. forerunner, but it, uh, or the uh, whatever came next in terms of... But just the... I mean, that, going back to diaries, the money, the wealth, the, the, the food. Great nibbles. You want, you, you want big parties. I mean, I, you know, I was involved... In, in the 80s with Blitz magazine alongside Face and ID and the parties we went to then were good but I think you know if you look at the parties now what was the last great magazine party you went to? Well the Mush Pit used to hold some fantastic yes, parties true. but we haven't had from them in a while I don't know I think maybe magazine parties should be more of a thing now because mm-hmm. I know the Mush Pit did that to raise money to make the magazine it's very clever if you just make a big party and get everyone to come and pay some entry I, entry I enjoyed fee. the um, there was the Gorman party where the Cookie Monster there was there oh, and yeah, I got to meet good. the Cookie Monster that was good <laughs> Um, Riposte does some good parties Gentleman has the lovely events But yeah, I think it'd be nice to have a bit of a a knees up I think we should go more like Tina Brown Inspired parties, we should get like There are still some big parties I'm not not sure how long ago this was But I was talking to someone last night We had an event at the shop when we all ended up in the pub And I was talking to somebody who Accidentally walked into a Vogue party At Shoreditch House and I don't know how long ago this was, but it was you know, quite recently, I think, you know, a few years ago, and that was a big party. They were going to another party, and they got off, <laughs> they got off the lift at the wrong floor and found themselves in this Vogue Christmas party. That is great. And they, and they went up to the bar, and they, and they said, oh, can I have a beer? And they said, I'm, I'm sorry, we're only serving champagne by the bottle. 
Oh my god, great! So there you go. That, I mean, that, that sounds <laughs> that sounds like a good part. I'm just going to so go lurking around Shoreditch House in December now, just waiting to find <laughs> they, the right floor. But I suspect even they now. I suspect even Colin Aston Vogue and are pulling back from that degree It'll of hospitality. And tap water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and a slap around the face. Anyway, so join us after this little break, and we'll tell you all about our back issue. London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality. Over the past years, they've printed over 120 different magazines. Park offer a wide range of services to make your magazine stand out in a shop like MagCulture. Recent projects printed at Park include Middle Plane, Pressing Matters, Light the Wind and Positive News. Just like MagCulture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. Welcome back to the final part of the podcast, the back issue. Jeremy, what have we got this week? We have a lovely little kind of um, handbook-sized magazine called Fire and Knives. Lovely. Which was a food magazine published quarterly um, from about 2009. I think it launched. It lasted about three or four years. It was launched by Tim Hayward, who at the time was working in advertising and was keen. He he trying to get into food writing and he was finding himself being spurned by, by potential uh, publishers. And so he thought, I'll go and do it myself. And he did. So good. And if any of you listen to kind of some of the food programmes on Radio 4, he's a regular feature of the Kitchen Cabinet and programmes like this. He's a very knowledgeable, respected uh, food broadcaster and writer. And it all came from this magazine. I asked him about how that magazine came about and what he thought brought his demise. It's a long way back now. The actual process just seemed to happen around various kitchen tables and off various laptops. I do remember that in the first edition, I think I wrote a about 85% of it myself uh, under different pseudonyms because at that point I still hadn't really got to a stage where I felt that I could ask really good people in the field to write something for nothing. I suppose the, the sort of scary aspect of it was was how much of a profile raising exercise it turned out to be. I probably shouldn't say this but I remember that for, for five years I've been trying to pitch something to the BBC radio uh, food program. I don't think I'd even received a, a, an email in response. And um, I sent free copies of the magazine to every influencer. <laughs> they didn't call them influencers back then. It was pretty much any famous personal contact I could find. And so I sent copies of the magazine to the food program. And I think it was about two weeks before I was called in as the editor of a fashionable food magazine to start offering comment. You know, as an editor, you, you, you somehow make a step change. You become somebody important in the eyes of the, of the broader media. I mean, I think in the end, I, it ran for, God, uh, I think there's 15, maybe 18 editions. It was a quarterly, so uh, nearly four years it ran for. I think in the end, it folded simply because I was I was putting £5,000 a year into it, even though we were actually selling it. That, that, that was that was the, the, the eventual uh, shortfall. It was about, was about five grand a year. For four years, five grand a year is my marketing budget. <laughs> it was really cheap. You know that was a really good way of of, uh, of of spending money and 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 boosting boosting my profile. Do I look back? Yeah, I do, I do, and it always comes up in conversation. I was on a shoot last week, 
And a guy who was uh, actually photographing for his fourth or fifth book was saying, you know, you really ought to restart Fire and Knives. Just do it online or something like that. It should be, it would be so easy. And whenever people say that, I feel a little bit sad because I realize that, you know, for me, it was also an example of the fact of no matter how good the stuff is, no matter how good the intentions are, no matter how keen the people are to buy it and read it, it just doesn't match up in the end financially. It always has to have a second reason. My second reason was was self-promotion, and God knows it was great for that. But I think even today, if somebody said, you know, should I be doing this? I'd say, yeah, if you can think of a reason other than profit, you go for it. It's great fun, uh, really worthwhile. Thanks, Tim. So, Liv, you're looking through it. It's, this isn't a magazine you necessarily knew so well. So what, remember, what's your impression? Yeah, I was aware of it, but I've never read it properly. And I'm just looking through the contents page of this issue, which is number 14. Number 14, it was quarterly. Yeah. And I just, every single feature I want to read. This feature is Anthony Bourdain rips apart my frozen lunch, will write for food, hope for the best, pr- prepare for the worst. It's just <laughs> what is high concept and what's it got to do with food? Yeah, I mean, how to open an artisan coffee shop. It's a, it's really sort of, it's a little bit uh, humorous. It's a little bit cynical. But, I mean, obviously, it's just, it's such a passion project. And you genuinely want to devour this whole, oh, I didn't mean that to be a pun, but that is pretty shit, isn't it? You just kind of want to read the whole thing. You just want to, it's great. Absolutely. And it, and it was, um, it's notable, the design was really lovely as well. It was by Rob Lowe, super mundane. So there's a lot of graphic design, a lot of modular design. Lots of found engravings and, and, and little old drawings and bits and pieces. A really beautiful project. But as as Tim says, you know, it, ultimately it was it wasn't he couldn't afford to keep it going. It's such a shame. What I really like about it is it's not trying to be too cool. Yeah. I think a lot of yeah. food magazines try and sort of like they try and make food like really edgy and like beautiful. But this is just like a man who's obviously just hungry and just wants to make this magazine just about about the beauty of food but not sort of going on about it well, it's, just, it, it, it's sort of it's very kind of like uh, bookish the magazine yeah, yeah. it's just really great writing but, but great but, writers I mean he was food. literally he was letting people write what they w- couldn't get published elsewhere yeah, so yeah. Was, all the pieces were what people really wanted to write that about that often makes a really good which, magazine yeah, doesn't it yeah, yeah. people so are just doing what they want so if, you know there's that need when you're editing to just kind of delegate and let people do what they want and get the best out of them rather than tell yeah. them yeah it's funny as well, like that mention of Anthony Bourdain and the contents mm-hmm. of that. I feel like he would probably really approve of this. Mm-hmm. Whereas some food magazines, I don't know if Anthony Bourdain would give a seal of approval. I don't know. We never will. We never will. Which is very sad. And I think about it every day. I do actually, a bit do obsessed. You? Yeah. It's a big crush of mine. Thanks for listening to the eighth podcast, which means we haven't quite we've we've achieved three, but we haven't reached ten. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where we are on, on like longevity, but um, doing all right. You're doing all right. We're doing all right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.